0: Welcome to the StatMed Podcast, where we teach you how to study in med school and how to pass board-style exams. Your host is Ryan Orwig, a learning specialist with more than a decade of experience working with med students and physicians. In this episode, Ryan again sits down with Dr. Jim Colhane, Assistant Dean for Student Academic Success Programs and Professor of Pharmaceutical Sciences at Notre Dame of Maryland University School of Pharmacy. They dig into some of the factors that can make lecture-based learning in medical school so difficult and discuss some survival skills students can implement. For the students out there that are listening is that, you know, you can't control how that person is teaching you, right? You can't control the type of material that they're giving you or how they're presenting it or the speed at which they're presenting it, but what you can control is how you interface with that material and that's you know that's really why i like a lot of the techniques and approaches that you teach
1: hey everyone i'm ryan orwig with the stat med learning podcast where we talk about studying time management and board style test taking for physicians med students and those in related fields like veterinary medicine and pharmacy today i'm back here again with my friend and fellow medical educator
0: dr james colhane Jen, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself real quick. Hi, Ryan. How are you doing? Thanks again for having me on the podcast. Um, my, uh, I am the Assistant Dean for Student Academic Success Programs at Notre Dame of Maryland University School of Pharmacy. I'm also a professor of pharmacology and have been in pharmacy education. I'll be celebrating my 25th anniversary next year. So, so quite wow. some quite some time in the classroom, yeah. It's been an amazing it's been an amazing 25 years um, educating a lot of really great students and helping a lot of people become pharmacists. So, so it's a pleasure. Yeah. to be on Yeah, and you and I I don't know if we've said this or not, but you and I met. It must be like almost 12. Yeah, yeah, about years 11 or 12 now. years ago. Yes,
1: it's it seems longer. Yeah, well, you know, I started coming in up there working with. You know, your, your faculty and your students just trying to, you know, transfer and teach, you know, these learning and test taking strategies at that level. And then, you know, you, your interest in this, you know, you already had that interest, but it's grown so much. So, you know, we've got a lot. It, we've got we, we come at this from similar places, but two different directions. And mm-hmm. and today we're going to talk about. Just the nature of lecture-based learning in med school, in pharmacy school, and vet school, just the the drinking from the fire hose, so much information so fast, and so many students that I talk to are just so what should we say, bitter yes. about <laughs> the lecture-based learning experience at this level. So much, so fast, popularly called like drinking from the fire hose. What I call the speed volume is a big part of the speed volume density equation where there's so much, so fast, you're accountable for all of it. So I think we want to talk about like why it's like this and maybe some survival skills that we can think of for the students or maybe even people who are, you know, teaching. On this side of the equation, right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, I, maybe I can provide you with some perspective from the from the opposite end of the uh, of the classroom here, uh, from someone who's been in front of the classroom and and made many of the mistakes that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. Now, I think yeah. I think Ryan. I think first, your first question I think is a real excellent one that you asked is why. You know, why does this kind of stuff happen? It's a it's a great it's a great question, and I think you know from again my experience in medical education, I think is that. What we have uh, in medical education today, both I think from the from the science perspective and also your clinical instructors as well too, we have extremely intelligent, bright people who are content experts in a very specific area, and you know most of them um, I think the clinical faculty at least in, in in pharmacy education tend to have a lot more uh, formal um, educational training than the science faculty too. But just for example, for myself as a science faculty member, when I first started teaching, um, I think, you know, before my first day in the classroom, I think I, I delivered like two lectures to nursing students when I was uh, in, in pharmacy or in, in, in my PhD program and did a little bit of problem-based learning with medical students. I had no pedagogical pedagogical training at all. I just got yeah. thrown into a classroom And um, he was told, okay, you're going to teach these 15 topics this semester. You know, of those 15 topics, I probably had expertise in maybe one or two of them. And then the other areas, it was a lot of self-learning. And so, you know, as a medical student or pharmacy student or veterinary student, when you're sitting in a classroom, I think it's really important to know who you're dealing with. You know, you're dealing with people who are highly bright, highly intelligent highly motivated. I don't know that I would include myself in that category, but, (laughs) um, but you know, I did happen to make it this far, um, and they're they're content experts. And so they're, they're they are,
1: they are very specifically super deep content experts. And this, this speaks to, it's kind of the thing that makes me frustrated when I listen to people talk about studying and test taking people Mm -hmm. do that like on their side job. Like it's my main job, right? Like, You've taken it on as like a main job, but like a lot of people like moonlight on it. And I feel like it's, it's a real, like slap in the face to like the art of teaching and the art of pedagogy. Like, like there's no, like, like how many tens or how many hundreds of hours were these people trained to teach dense, complex information to people that are sort of at the bottom of the learning curve? The answer is not hundreds of hours. No, it sounds like not even tens tens of of hours. Right. And that is a big part. I mean, this is everywhere. This is across the spectrum from all these institutions. For the, for the I mean, I can, we can't speak for all, but I mean, I, I work with students from pretty much any school from like the absolute best schools in the country to mid, mid-level to low-level to schools outside of the country. Um, and you see it everywhere. Right. There is not an emphasis on the art. just like there's not an emphasis on the art of learning and the methodology of learning and the how to operationalize and weaponize and implement like, intense diversified learning strategies. On the one end, we're not teaching smart students how to study. It's does which I'm always talking about, but I guess like that just immediately that shine a light on the fact we're not teaching our these bright motivated teach, teach
0: people teaching at these institutions how to teach mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that, and yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, to be fair to some of the administrators and deans out there, I mean, I think sure. a lot of programs will invest time and money and energy, just like we did with you bringing you in to do some faculty development. Sure. Um, you know, we really try to, um, uh, organize and make available programs and other types of professional development that faculty can engage in. Um, But it it does take time for people to accumulate, you know, if they're, especially if they're teaching full-time, that, that knowledge and experience. And so I know, for example, you know, my first three or four years of teaching, you know, I'm certainly, I'm certainly not proud of it for sure, but I did learn an awful lot. I I learned an awful lot about my discipline. I also learned a ton about teaching, by reading about it, by watching other people that had formal training in it Mm -hmm. and really incorporating a lot of the methodologies. A lot of it was trial and error. You know, this worked and this didn't, so I'm going to stick with this. Um, And, um, you know, as I've matured through my career, I've had a lot of opportunity to engage in faculty development, to read about, you know, teaching and teaching, you know, strategies and approaches. So I feel like I'm I'm much more educated um, in this area than I was, but I know I still have tons to learn. You know, so. Well, this
1: speaks to who you are as a teacher, and I mean, I, I've I've worked with a lot of your material. Um, you are super, super organized, mm. right? Your content is super organized, and I'll always take super organized over anything less yeah. than that. Uh, you can always work with with something that's super organized, um, and you've definitely made a made made a mission. Uh, to get there, but the, and this isn't about even disparaging those who are not, you know. Right. This is just about the state of affairs where students are dealing with all this stuff. I will add that
0: PowerPoint
1: has likely been a culprit in some of this unintentionally as well.
0: Yeah, you know uh, it's, it's, and it's kind of funny I'll I'll mention something about that too because and I'll let you get back to the PowerPoint cuz yeah. I'll forget what I was going to say but um one of the things that I do here now is I am a preceptor essentially for a teaching fellowship program that's offered by Johns Hopkins University and University of Maryland. So I work okay. with uh, young PhD students and postdocs. Every year I have a cohort that comes through. You know, and, and so I spend about nine months with them teaching the, the basic foundations instruc- uh, foundations for instructional uh, theory and you know, how to put together uh, you know, a, a class or a lecture and how to develop an effective PowerPoint presentation, how to mentor students, advising, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things I always tell these guys that I, on one of the first days is that when you get into the classroom, you are not delivering a scientific seminar. You are teaching novice learners. And I think for new science faculty, and I did it myself, you, oh, yeah. you know, you immediately default to what do I refer to as seminar mode, where you try to present 80 or 90 very dense, complicated slides to a group of students that have no idea what you're talking about um, in a 50-minute period. So, yeah. you know, just you know, getting getting them up to speed like that. And we're one of the few programs that I'm aware of in the country that actually do this for postdocs and PhD students. And, and I think the fault isn't with the, the people themselves. I think the fault is no. really with gra- graduate education. And yes. that, you know, I, I know, you know, and again, with the students that I work with, you know, they're all at research one institutions, you know, their, their PIs are heavily invested in, in you know, in getting that next grant and, and publishing in good journals. And that's their main focus. And I get that but not all of your graduate students are going in that direction. And in mm-hmm. fact, many of the students that I work with in that program that come out of those institutions tell me flat out, they have no interest in getting into that kind of rat race. They want, you know, they want to get into a teaching type of environment where there's a mix, you know, kind of a healthy mix, but they know that they need training in 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 and how to teach. So yeah, yeah. um that's just a commentary. That's just my soapbox on graduate education right now. And I think there needs to be more structured training in that way for oh, grad students and that's postdocs true. who are interested in doing it.
1: That sounds exactly like where the the the
0: the the
1: the, the process is breaking down. This yeah. idea that we of like nobody wants to go into the classroom and be like not prepared. Um I like the biggest year of my life was the first year I was in a classroom. You can study the stuff. All the all you want, but I was like 23 years old, mm-hmm. dumped into a classroom, like this college prep high school for kids with reading and learning disabilities and ADHD in, in Baltimore. And mm-hmm. it, like the, it was it was so exhausting. Like I remember having no life. I would come <laughs> home and like try to get my plan together, crash, and because it was so exhausting. Nothing can prepare you for it. Nothing can prepare you for it. I mean, I'm being in my first few years of teaching med students, learning strategies. Like if you, I think you can just idle and let things go, or you can work and and really build it up. Unfortunately, I had the energy and the time to do that. Um, but this idea of the PowerPoint, uh, is, is a big problem I think because, you know, people are are criticized like, Oh, your PowerPoints are too long. So what are they going to take out? They're not going to take out the content. They're gonna right. take out like the, the marker slides. They're gonna right. turn that hundred slide lecture to 90 slides by taking out like the transition slides. If they right, want the slides it, to be right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, If the slides are gonna be overloaded, they're gonna take out like the headers and the footers that indicate the hierarchy. So finding hierarchy, which if anybody's ever listened to me talk, no, I, like that's what I'm all about. Is can we find the the hidden hierarchy, the bones, the skeletons? the 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 the, the essence of PowerPoint seems to obliterate. And obscure and hide it. So I've well, had so many. St- yeah, go ahead.
0: No, no, I, I was just gonna say, you know, when you take a look at PowerPoint, and I, again, don't quote me on this because I'm not 100% sure, but I think we've talked mm-hmm. about this in the past. When you take a look at the history of that software, right? It mm-hmm. wasn't developed, I don't think, with higher ed in mind. It was developed I for the business it. world, right? Yeah, and we, I, we just we just adopted it, this, this yeah. tool, and I think. Yep abuse it and misuse it in so many ways. And I know I'm guilty of it for sure. Me too. Oh, me too. I write yeah. in PowerPoint now, you know, yeah. I, you know, I, I write in that thing
1: and I, and it's like, well, and I'm such an expert in what I do. I've got to be careful of not skidding out and losing that superstructure, which I, I know I can tell you right now, like three or four of our lessons that need to be revised because that has happened because I keep drilling down deeper and deeper, but I'm like, wait, can the person see the superstructure of it. So so PowerPoint in and of itself is a very uh, big player in this. It's multifactorial, but it is a piece of it. Um, So I think just the the, the overall reliance on PowerPoint, which hides structure. So I think part of the problem is if structure is hidden, it's going to make this learning in med school and vet school and pharmacy school that much harder. I think learning has to start with the learner being able to see and find, or even better yet, seek out and find the hidden structure. Like even if somebody gives it to them, it's fine, but it's better for them if they have to seek and find it a little bit. Sure. But at the very they least, I have to
0: have to. In, yeah, there's a deconstruction analysis that goes on there. Important part of the learning process for sure. Well,
1: and, and part of the desired difficulty, right? Like, like yeah. let me find, find it. And, and and like, you're doing so much more with that cognitive experience with it. Again, like a, fa- a, a more direct route an actual route of being active instead of just saying, be more active. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's a part of this lecture challenge. What, what are some other things that you sort of are on your list?
0: Yeah, so um, I've, I've got a couple of things here that I wanted to, you know, examples of, of problems that that students have, you know, that I've seen face in the classroom, and and again, I'll say that I've, I've been guilty of some or maybe all of these. I, I think right. the first one that I wanted to talk with you about is expertise blindness with instructors, okay, yeah. or lecturers, right? So yeah. as I said at the beginning, you know, the people that you're interfacing with as a student in the classroom, these are highly intelligent. Uh, content experts who you know you know if you look at learning and academic success as a bell-shaped curve, these are typically the people that are over to the you know on the one side of the bell-shaped curve with all the successful folks. and so when they come yeah. into classroom, many times they think that their learners are exactly like them, so that that students should um, think the way that they do, should learn as quickly as they do, and mm-hmm. they get very frustrated very quickly. When students aren't able to learn what they want them to learn or as quickly as yes. they want them to learn it. And um, and then, you know, along with that frustration, it makes it very difficult for students then to interface with those instructors outside of class because they can be intimidating. You know, and yeah. so, you know, this is as an academic co-chair at my institution, um, you know, sometimes we'll we'll have that issue and I'll have to work with students and help them to. All right. How, how should you interface effectively with this faculty member, and so that you can you can learn the things that you need to learn?
1: Along with expertise blindness, is that not also one of the culprits for the way that they build their lectures? Oh, so absolutely. So, in other words, when they when they transition from topic A to topic B, or they're on the fourth example under three A they don't necessarily need to, like in their minds, they might not need to delineate that in that PowerPoint slide because the transition is so obvious to them. But to the novice learner, it's not. And that's where the novice learner comes into this thing and it all looks like disconnected uh, pieces of information. They can't see the hierarchy because the hierarchy has been scrubbed out and muddied by the expert because it's so obvious to the expert. I mean, to me, from where I sit as I'm trying to help these students decipher and decode these these uh, PowerPoint lectures using frameworking, the skill we use to sort of untangle these, like, it's really, like, that's where it gets really frustrating. And I think that falls under this expertise blindness. Is that fair?
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think another thing that causes it as well, too, is, you know, when especially when you're dealing with new faculty that are coming yeah. in, and then this can, you know, if you don't change your habits or ways, it can transition into <laughs> your mid-career, right? Um, yeah. Is that you know, as new faculty are coming into their teaching positions, they've spent the last, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years of their educational experience in a PhD program or postdoc, right? And the only time they get to teach or present in front of people is, you know, typically in a seminar, right? So yeah. you're in a seminar room with, you know, every member of your department, you know, national experts, you know, you're 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 a brand new scientist, you want to impress people, right? So mm-hmm. again, You know, you're going to dazzle them with data. You're going to blind them with, you know, massive amounts of information. And these people can handle it because they're either content experts or they're so smart that they can they can navigate their way through it. And then, you know, they don't know any better. They come into the classroom and they do the same thing. And it's it it can be a mess.
1: And the audience is at the exact opposite end of their own understanding of this. topic. Absolutely. They're at the bottom of the mountain. And these people, these other people are
0: already on the other side of the mountain. They're, and, they're preaching to. And even if, I think even if young faculty recognize that they're teaching, obviously d- they do, right? I mean, they know, you, you, know, but you know, you're sitting in front of a, a group of students that don't know anything about the topic that you're mm-hmm. talking about. Sometimes, especially when you're early on in your career, imposter syndrome can be a real problem. Okay. That sure. you feel like I don't deserve to be there or holy mm-hmm. cow, I'm in front of this class. What do I know? Especially if your students are close to your own age. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's really easy. Like, okay. You know, I really I really don't know what I'm talking about here because I'm teaching in an area outside of my expertise, which is really easy for that to happen to a faculty member. Yeah. So I'm just again, I'm going to blast them with lots of information, very dense slides, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and, and and try to navigate the process that way. So I've well, seen it. I've seen that happen. I, and again, if
1: just as the, if for somebody on the outside looking in trying to help the struggling student get on top of these dense lectures, I think a student can handle any degree of density if we can find structure. Learning right. has to start at the, at, the, at the learner's ability to seek and find and extract that structure. And if, like, if I can take a 100-slide deck of a PowerPoint and realize it's like a stack of 10, a stack of 20, a stack of 20, a stack of 25, a stack of 15, a stack of 10. Uh, uh, like that's your, high, that's your, your, your top layer. Like mm-hmm. everything is so much easier from there, yeah. you know, or if I'm not sure, is that 20 years it 30, then I can at least speculate. Then in lecture, I can sort it out because I've got like this ability to seek and find. Um, but when it's all just in impenetrable
0: structurally, then where does the learner even begin? Exactly. And I can tell you, they don't, it's have not that, they don't have that skill, which most students don't, you know, automatically, no. you know, it's, they're they're hitting a roadblock even before they start studying you're playing catch up from the beginning and there's just no time. Once you get into the med school,
1: pharmacy school, vet school, there is no extra time Mm -hmm. to then spin your wheels on this thing. So anyway, so I I do think this expertise blindness is, is at the the heart of a lot of stuff. And again, none of these, no lecturer for the most part wants to be that way. And I've had people bring me lectures and they're like, this lecture is the worst. There's no structure. And then, but actually through using frameworking, we find the structure. Like I'll even be like, yeah, this is terrible. Then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, this one slide unlocks the whole thing. The whole
0: thing. Yeah. But
1: we're we're reading it if you're reading it linearly, you're not going to be able to find it. It gets glazed over, and then you, you know, it gets buried by 20 slides in your head. You don't know where the structure is because you're you're again going through it linearly. Like, so I, I've i multiple times in my life had either been told the lecture is terrible, and then we we framework it and the students like, oh. The structure is there, or I've been like, this is terrible Then I find the structure and it is there. It, mm-hmm. Again, the, 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 oftentimes the lecture is not being willfully disorganized.
0: No. And, again, and I, I they, see it. I don't see it. I've never seen that myself. my Why? why? No. Right.
1: But right. People why do it? feel yeah. that way? Right. People are, feel antagonized and, 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 and crushed. And again, the stakes are so high. And then it's like, oh no, it is there. I just couldn't see it because they plucked for whatever reason. That was lost and obscured. It could be as simple as like it's so obvious to them it's not there, or they felt like they needed to tighten things up, and then and the inadvertently what they're choosing to tighten are the road markers. It's like they're taking all the all the uh, the, the road markers off the off the street, you know. Yeah. So the street's still there, but there's no stoplights
0: or stop signs. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I would
0: prefer not to live in that in that world. So anyway. Yeah. So let's 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 turn back. Let's go to our move on to our second one here. I think this is another favorite of mine. Again, I'm guilty of this. And I've seen folks that are are, and I really I really, really try hard with this is excessive cognitive load. Now, for your listeners out there that aren't familiar with what cognitive load is, um, it's really the amount of information that your brain can process at any given time that's coming at you. So if you've Mm -hmm. ever again, a great experience for me where I get overload with my, my cognitive load gets overloaded. Is if I'm if I'm driving a car over the George Washington Bridge into New York City, okay? I always mm-hmm. use this as an example. If you've ever done that um, without GPS, okay, there's about 80 different road green road signs, you know, in a yeah. row, and you're it's just coming at you're moving at 55 miles an hour, and people are driving aggressively around you, and you're trying to look for the right signs so that you don't get off on the wrong exit and get lost. You know, right there, that short circuits my brain. I can't yeah. my brain just freezes. I can't process. Um, and which is why before GPS I always had my wife drive into New York City because she's from that area. Um, now I can do it with GPS because I just follow the I follow the yeah. line of the voice. But it's off con- it's offloaded the cognitive burden. You've exactly. offloaded the cognitive burden yeah, onto the, the smart yes. device, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, or let yeah. my letting my wife drive, right? Likewise, um, right. But, um, so, but cognitive load is something that I think instructors have to pay an important attention to when they're developing their learning materials. And again, I'll go back to my, you know, example of a brand new minted, brand new minted PhD or postdoc that's coming into a, a, um, a teaching position. You know, the, the default is to go into that seminar mode when you're assigned a topic to teach, right? And so you you the two things that you will be tend to do is you'll tend to load up your slides with lots of information, especially if you're unfamiliar with the topic, because you want to have that text up there. Right. Sure. As a prompt in case you forget what you're going to say or you can't think what you know what the topic's about. Or another thing is that you've got like you're trying to cover 80 or 90 slides in a 15 minute period. OK. And I always tell my mm-hmm. teaching fellows, that's not teaching. That's rapid information delivery. It's not teaching. And so, you know, I've seen slides that are so dense, and packed full of oh. information that, you know, I don't even know where to begin, you know, right. and, you know, yeah. when I, and, and if I'm, a, even if I'm a content expert in that area, I've taught in that area and, and instructors are using it, I'm like, where do I even go with this? Right. Yeah. Plus they've got on top of that slide, they've got 90 other that they're trying to cover in a very short period of time. And, you know, what tends to happen with students is they just shut down. In lecture yep. then, right? Yep, they're like, yep. there's no way I can follow this person. There's no way I can learn all this. I'm just shutting down and I'll figure it out later. Yeah. And,
1: well, then, and that, and ha- and that can happen, and that can happen on a given slide. That can happen on a right. given slide. Exactly. And then certain students will be able to then get back on board, but other students are done. They're it's done. like once they once they disconnect. So the metaphor is like they're on the train, they yep. fall off the train, and all yep. they can do is stand there in the railroad tracks. Watching that train disappear in the distance. Yeah, and like, well, here we are. Here we and are I've now. Got, I've got 40 minutes left in class. I've got 20 minutes left, and for whatever reason, they can't teleport back onto the train. I think exactly. strategies can be learned to do that, um, but it's tough. I it's do. tough. And 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 again, the, we've got to think about that. So I get. I guess the solution there is like, yeah, sometimes you're gonna get bumped off. What you need to do is then scroll down a slide or two and wait for the train to come back around and jump back on then and be okay with losing that as opposed to being like, look, especially, I mean, if you're in lecture, not you're, you're in there physically watching it. Maybe your school requires it. Maybe you're just there for whatever reason. Maybe you want to get something out of lecture. You don't have to then say, I'm I'm just lost. Just cut it out and say, okay, I I did lose that stuff. Let me get back on board now and at least carry on with it. But man, yeah, getting blasted with, some of these slides is, is, is very, is very tough. And again, maybe, maybe the person is, maybe the instructor is just, it's just poor design on their part, or maybe they are not really worried about teaching. And this is, these people probably do exist as much as we don't want to admit it. And they're Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like I'm dumping this on you and you're responsible for it because there are still some of those old school, like, I suffered.
0: You suffer. We you all suffer. suffer. Right, exactly. Right. I mean, look, and and what well, I tell well, I, people, I is, know all of this stuff in these yeah. slides, and I expect you to know it too. Even though you've been, you know, you've been a, a content expert in this area for thirty years, right? And yeah. these guys are just starting learning. You know, and this I think, is, I, was, yeah, I think one of the things that you said was really, really important to for the students out there that are listening is that you know you can't control how that person is teaching you, right? You can't control the type of material that they're giving you or how they're presenting it or the speed at which they're presenting it. But what you can control is how you interface with that material. And that's, you know, that's really why I like a lot of the techniques and approaches that you teach uh, because it helps students not only prepare for that contingency before class starts, Mm -hmm. but if they happen to fall off the train by mistake, okay, which can happen to any of us, Sure. The skills and methodologies uh, allow you to get back on the train um, and to. so that you don't lose the rest of that, you know, material. You because a lot what a lot of students will do is they'll just they'll, they're recording it or their school's recording. Yeah. It. They're like, look, I didn't get this, but I'll just listen to the lecture again later on. Well, that's crazy. Why sit Herbal for another two hour lecture that you don't Herbal have to? Strategy. Right? right. You're, you're yeah. spending four hours learning material that, you know you, you, if you were experiencing it, right. Exper, experience, right. I, you're, you, I love that way. You're not learning. We're experiencing right. we have four hours uh-huh. of experiencing, you know, right. right content that is not or, a good
1: look, time. Yeah. Time is, time is the current time is, is the most scarce resource mm-hmm. in life, of course, but certainly when you're in these programs, there's not enough time to do everything you want. This idea of like rewatching a bad, le- any lecture, I mean, strategically, sure, whatever. But like, if your strategy is like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride this train till I fall off, then just be stuck there and waste an hour, or an hour and a half, or whatever it is, 40 minutes, and then do it again. Mm-hmm. Like that is not that's not a good investment, right? Yeah, you don't have control over this stuff. And what I tell people, because people want to complain about their professors, and I'm like, I'll, I'll listen to it for a minute, like vent your stuff, but then you got to like roll up your sleeves and deal with it. Enough right. people pass that you can either. Figure out a way to ride it, or just or get run over
0: by it, because that's what's yeah. going to happen. You can say it's
1: unfair. No, no, right. You they're can not say it's unfair. You can you can complain about this and that. So
0: their students fail exams. Usually they're just like, well, they just you know they didn't study long enough or they didn't yeah. study hard enough, and so it's their fault. It's, it's not my issue.
1: Yeah, kids these days, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> I mean, look, or or the the faculty, like the the the, the administration, can know it's a problem. But it's not going to change for you. Right. Like you don't want to get caught up under that. So be mad about it for a minute. Vent your grievance, air your grievances
0: and get on with it. Yeah. Um, and and I, I'm not saying that's Another thing, too, that came to my mind that I think is really important for your listeners to hear, too, is that there's a lot of research out there that supports the idea that if you're one of those students that can actually make sense of a lecture, that's a mess. OK, yep. versus mm-hmm. and 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 really engage. You're actually learning more effectively than if you're a student sitting through a very well organized lecture yeah, where things yeah. are kind of laid out structurally. You know, again, you know, uh, you, you said before, and I take great pride in how well organized and structured and outlined my lecture notes mm-hmm. are. But I also understand, too, that, you know, it's 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 part of that is not conducive uh, to learning because students don't have to necessarily work as hard, you know. At that, uh, you know, and remember, it's, we're it's talking
1: about super dense. Your stuff's so dense, though, they're still working plenty Okay, hard. great. All
0: right, then I, I, no. I, I, I'll take your, I'll take your word for it. But you know, it I think it is.
1: No, I, I was listening. I was, I was re-listening to make it stick to today because, yeah. as one does, make it stick's the best book on learning theory out there. It's great, just for all the stuff. And it was talking about right, like a little bit of that desired, desirable difficulty that goes with it. But I was listening to that, thinking like like desire like if if the listener has to work a little harder, you're going to get better retention, better engagement. Yeah. Um, but I, and I was listening to that, thinking about like it doesn't matter how well organized the lecture is at this level, it's still difficult. Yeah, that's not, right. I was having because that thought a lot earlier of
0: today. Add difficulty, right? It's the content itself. It's the amount of material. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, yeah, your, your points. Well, your points well taken, and I think yeah. that. um but, um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's that is definitely really, you know, the, the whole cognitive load thing is definitely yes. interesting. And unfortunately, students out there, you're just going to have to learn strategies to, you know, to to deal with it. And fortunately, there are it. strategies out there.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, no, <laughs> yep. it's, it's it's more manageable than people think, even when it yep. is poorly designed. You yep. can do very, and you can work through it in various phases, depending on how well organized the lecture is, or how poorly organized the lecture is, and still get benefit on the other side. And then the simplest thing is, if you can, if you can only focus on one thing, focus on hierarchical superstructure, so that you come out on the other side of lecture with a sense of structure and organization and number of topics and subtopics and stuff like that. And that's that's counterintuitive. Because you're not going to get tested on that. You're going to get tested on the things that are four, five, six layers deep. So that's mm. that. That's where the grind is on it. But I, but I, and I hear you. I know. I get it. But if you start, I, I think learning at this level has to start with awareness of structure. Build the structure. If you come out with structure on the other side, you're going to be better off than if you've got like a, a a few armfuls of a bunch of random disconnected details. Yes. Because if you're trying to sit there and memorize, 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 that is not going to pay off. That's a fair statement, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would agree 100 yeah. uh, percent. So my my next my next, um, I guess, uh, uh, issue with 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 lecturing and classroom instruction is speed, the speed of the lecture. And I think we've already touched on this a little bit. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, for every every instructor has their own personal style of teaching. Right. So the way that I would teach a class or present in a class might be different, Ryan, than how you would do it or many right. of my colleagues here. Um, but I think that, you know, you know, if I were speaking to any instructors out there, this, what I usually tell my teaching fellows is look, if you're presenting much more than 20 slides an hour, okay. You're, you're starting to really get into that. You know, I, again, it, a lot of it too depends on the density of information you in know, the slides right, and things right. like that. Right. Okay. But just as a starting point, you know, if you're if you're planning on, you know, again, covering 70 or 80 slides in a 50 minute period, I don't care, you know, how, you know, the, you know what the density of your slides are. OK, that's just way too much. OK, your students are just your students are just going to be you know, overwhelmed by that. So I think the key piece here is that, you know, being mindful of the amount of information that you're 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 teaching. Making sure that you give your learners enough time to digest information and to ask questions, to formulate questions. Sometimes as instructors, we're guilty of not giving our students a chance to just stop and think about what we just said or giving them an opportunity to practice applying something that you just taught them in class. Right. Um, And so we're just we're all about like, okay, we just got to get to the next slide. Click, next slide, click, next slide. And it just seems relentless. So, again, this is where I think what you talked about before you know interfacing with that material in specific ways before class you know pulling out the superstructure the hierarchy mm-hmm. um and and so that you so you've got a sort of a basic roadmap that you can follow as you go through even a rapid a rapidly delivered dense lecture you're going to be able to follow along and if you fall off the train you can get right back on and you know where you're you're, you're supposed to be
1: so yes yeah, speed of lecture i mean that's the first word in my the crux of my Assessment and condemnation of medical education, speed, volume, density, equation, right? Yeah, The speed is furious. And I mean, I see, I mean, I'm sure most people, if anybody's listening to this, they're going to be like 20 slides an hour. They're going to be like 80 slides an hour.
0: Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell stars. you, I, I, and I am known for for working at a snail's pace. You know, I am I am probably the slowest lecturer at our school. I know I have colleagues that I teach with, and I'm going public to apologize publicly to them right now. Yeah, you know, when, when they teach them, they're 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 cringing because they know it's uh, Jim's starting to teach now. It's going to take them a while to get you know to get through this stuff, but. Um, you know, I'm, I really try to be mindful of yeah. you know, the learners that I'm working with. I'm looking at body language. I'm, you know, asking them questions. You know, seeing, you know, seeing of seeing where they're at in the learning process, and I, that will tell me that'll drive me when I move forward on the next slide versus just like got to get through this, got to get through that. So, but I, I move at a more of a snail's pace. And you're of you're an exception to the rule, I think. Because, I, but
1: also you. you well, I mean, again, I can't speak for everybody. I mean, I, my, my sample size is going to be contaminated because yeah. I people are bringing me the things that are really troubling them. I don't see the stuff that's not giving them trouble, so I don't know what my representative sample size, what that, how that translates across the board. But I bet you most students in most schools have at least one professor, if not a few, that are just blazing through super dense material. What you're describing is empathetic teaching design.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: I think you. I think you have a high level of empathy that you're projecting onto the students sitting in those seats. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, but you were not. You struggled some as a student, though. For somebody in your position with your PhD and all that stuff, you weren't yeah. like the oh, typical. No, no. Like,
0: uh, you, know, you know, we've talked about that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really, as an undergraduate, I really had no clue about how to, you know, be an independent, effective, independent learner outside of class and manage my time effectively and productivity. And, um, you know, and despite those setbacks, you know, I did well Mm -hmm. enough to get into a graduate program and PhD program Mm -hmm. where I learned some very basic learning strategies, evidence-based learning strategies for one of my first year physiology professors that transformed my learning, which is why I'm such a big fan of this today. Um, Again, we're talking about this is the early 90s we're talking about. So, um yeah. but it dark, was dark ages but it was enough say. right it was mm-hmm. enough structure for me as a student to say holy smokes now i've got some tools you know Methodo- so
1: methodology well, goes a long way methodology, methodology a little yeah. bit of methodology goes a long way but i would think in the 90s early 90s we're talking like infancy yeah uh, of this kind of thing but i just think it's interesting to think about like maybe that is a, a, a chicken or egg whatever uh, the genesis of some of your empathy toward oh, the learning Oh, I think so.
0: Yeah. Without a doubt. I'm sure, I'm sure psychologists could spend years mm-hmm. <laughs> analyzing my past experiences and how that translates, you know, into my teaching today, but we all do that. We all bring our yeah, past Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's all, yeah, it's all, are. it's all
1: part of, I mean, right. this is such a multifaceted tool that we use as we, as we, as we communicate with our learners, but I do think it's a high degree of empathy that you do, uh, Display and that you've wrapped into your, your your approach, but also the way you teach. You're not like I've got to get through these fifty slides today, right? Mm-hmm. You 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 have like a whole body of work, and you sort of progress into and you've got you you've got
0: your benchmarks you want to get to. Yeah,
1: exactly, I know where I'm going to get
0: to. I've designed I've I've designed my materials to fit in a certain mm-hmm. time period, right? So yeah, so I you know day one I need to get through these first you know fifteen or twenty slides or whatever it mm-hmm. is, right? Right. And, I, yep. and I know what my pace is and I know. And yes. so if I'm if I start, even if I'm asked to teach a new topic area, I've got a pretty good idea now what I'm capable of getting through as an instructor. And so, you know, I'll work within those confines.
1: Yes. Um, yes. And that's good.
0: Yeah, I always feel I always the other thing I always talk about is fundamentals. You know, I think sometimes as instructors, you know, we have this this kind of Venn diagram or at the middle we have must know concepts that students absolutely have to know. You know, Mm -hmm. when they get out of class, we have we have very important concepts that are kind of outside of that circle. Right. And then we have interesting uh, on the outermost Mm -hmm. circle. Right. And so Mm -hmm. the must know are like those fundamental things. And so Mm -hmm. I, I really do try to spend a lot of my time in that must know area and, you know, important area. Um, but, it, you know, a lot of instructors will get outside of there and they'll start talking about things that are interesting to them, maybe tangential yeah. research that they're doing that's yes. connected to the, to the subject, but not really. And, you know, all of a sudden now, you know, as a student, you're totally you're overwhelmed and you're lost.
1: You're overwhelmed and lost and you don't know. And again, it's kind of skewed your ability to plug in. I remember working with your faculty uh, about a decade ago, trying mm-hmm. to teach them this, like, like how to build structure into their uh, lectures and you know, some of the ones that didn't want to do it were more into the art of. I mean, one guy, I don't I don't remember who it was, but he's like, like, I want to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh yeah, like that's not that's not what these students are needing. <laughs> storyteller. They, not, right. they don't need a storyteller. Like, if you I mean, look, if you can make it interesting with stories, that's all fine. But it was like a it was a it was like story versus explicitly embedded structure. He was yeah. like, Oh, I'm going story. I'm like, ooh. Like that narrative is not like that's just not like they need structure.
0: If you can em- embellish it with stories and make it better, I mean, more power to you. Oh, absolutely. But I think I think concrete examples. You know, like I see fantastic. my and partners do that all the time. I think it's phenomenal. You know, they're talking fantastic. about a particular drug in class, and they're like, oh yeah. yeah, and by the way, last Wednesday I had a patient who had this exact issue, and I think it just it brings so much relevance when you use it appropriately. But you're right. Yeah. It, there's a big difference in that than just you know, kind I'm of meeting your a career story. classroom. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like I'm weaving a narrative like, oh, man, I don't even know what that means. So because because
1: like, the framework, the, like the lecture was unframeworkable
0: because
1: mm-hmm. it was all hung on. I was like, yeah, but if you lose somebody in a narrative, like there's no getting back. There's no getting back and there's no way to dis- discern it. So, again, everybody, it, 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 it comes down to how are we approaching this stuff. But, again, speed of delivery, uh, I think if we can think about – putting ourselves in the in the seat of that novice learner and focusing on structure is going to be better what else what else you got for us
0: yeah so here's another one that i love and um this is disorganized learning materials and this is a great Mm -hmm. segue into what you just said right so you have lecture notes or powerpoint slides that don't have any apparent uh, organization whatsoever it just kind of meanders along um you know for you don't in fact the whole class is kind of unstructured where you don't really know what you're going to be learning from one day to the next i had a I had a biochemistry class like that when I was an undergraduate. I loved the professor. He was such a great guy, super nice. You could talk to him, brilliant guy. But, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from what I remember, he'd walk into the classroom every day and open up the biochemistry book to some random page and start teaching at least My for, me, for me as a student. That's the way I perceived it. Maybe there was a plan or a structure behind that I didn't, I don't remember, but I'm like, okay, what are we doing? You know, it was always a surprise. What are we going to be learning today? We had no notes or, you know, and this is before PowerPoint or, you know, we're, you know, we're talking late eighties here, um, early nineties. But so the disorganized learning material, I think, um, this is, you know, this is something I know you, you mentioned you deal with your, your clients and your students a lot. Um, and I see it a lot as, as an instructor and, um, you know one of the one of the ways that you know i've worked to combat that is uh, you know you and i have talked in the past about top down versus bottom up learners right For sure. okay? mm-hmm. and you know i i think i think i'm i'm much more of a top down learner where i need to you know develop a, you know a scaffolding or superstructure so when i'm writing a lecture or developing some learning materials you know I'll map it out first I'll outline it out first will use a concept map or, or you know get an idea of what I'm going to be doing and structure it that way and then fill in from the top down um yep. and you know versus <clears throat> I think what a lot of people do that have all that information in their heads already and this is especially true for me when I'm lear- I'm teaching something new that I'm not necessarily an expert in super important to do that right but, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a content expert, you may be more of a bottom up learner where you've got all yeah. your head fully crammed with all this information mm-hmm. and you're just putting it down on a slide. You're not really, yeah. you know, I'm just getting it down. We'll get it out there. You know, and I'm not there's no organization or structure to it. And I see that. a lot. I, you know what? I've seen it in a lot in the past. I think um, um, it's I think a lot of faculty do a really good job at this, especially if they're thoughtful about it. And I think, you know, instructors who are reflective and work from year to year and they look at their material each year and like you know what could i do better you know or how did this go last year you know like when i'm lecturing you know i'm taking notes about how things are going if something didn't work or mm-hmm. if i'm like boy this was confusing to them you know i'll make sure i make alterations and adjustments for next year and i and i think that's how you know my lecture material first started out it was pretty disorganized but over the yeah. years it's it's evolved so well i think it's interesting i think a lot of people that do
1: get into teaching might be more bottom up where there's certainly certainly a a strong slice of the pie is yeah and i think those people are going to be more likely to have fragmented disconnected uh lecture material because that's how their brain works the elves of the executive functioning section of their brain put it all together for them so if they are bottom-up learners they see things in a bottom-up way and they and and it's not even like they're not it's not as, as straightforward as them not caring and being empathetic to the people in the chairs. Right. They don't know. They, they don't, don't know, exactly. know that they see that, that, that those students need that structure so obviously and so explicitly. Because this is, I mean, like I said, I see this problem across the spectrum. People think it's like, oh, my school, they do like this. I'm like, no, it's like every school. I see people like this at every school. Mm-hmm. This is a, it's like it's, 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 a, it's a law of nature of some, in some sorts because yeah. I, I've seen it from too many places, from too many people of too many different backgrounds where they're coming in like this. And I do think it's probably related to, especially as you say that, the, the bottom up learner who sees things detail oriented, not mm-hmm. super structurally. And yep. those are the ones that are really hard to work with framework wise. And yeah. so, I, what I t- so what I tell my students in that situation is make an ugly. F- your framework is more of a hypothesis because you're like, you're just totally guessing. <laughs> right. You're like, I think maybe this is this and I think maybe this is this. And then you go into lecture and all you're doing is using the narrative threading of the lecturer yeah. to correct the, the, the framework. And reconfigure it so that on the other side of lecture, you now have had two experiences with the material and you're coming out with a maybe a rudimentary framework. If it were better structured, you would have had something akin, if not better to, better than that, that rudimentary framework going into lecture. And you would come out of lecture farther down the, 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 the sequence of learning and encoding and connecting. But in this situation, you're coming out still better than you otherwise would. And you're at least going down the right road, because usually what happens with that bottom up learner instructor is that certainly by the end of the lecture and they've narrated it and filled in the gaps and they've 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 physically jumped the gaps between these things and connected the information. Or you might realize these five slides in the middle of slides, ABC and you know, DEF, like are like you can excise them and it is A, B, C, D, E, F, and they go together or what have you. And then you can realize it and that's the game you're playing in lecture, not worrying about the details, not worrying about quote unquote learning because the students are learning that learning starts with structure. So there are ways you got to work around the disorganized learning material. The other alternative is. I don't know, like you take the. The objectives, this is, it gets ugly doing this and this is not as necessary as people often think it is because people want to press the eject button really early on the, on on a bad lecture or a lecture they don't like. You got to be really careful to do that because it's, it's, you're going down an inefficient road, Yes. but worse comes to worse. I mean, worse, worse, like truly eject button is like you take that to like a BRS book or like a a board review book or a, a textbook. And and you just, and you say, okay, here are the objectives. These objectives are covered in this chapter. I can then, cause the science is the science. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's, but it's, you gotta be real careful doing that. Like, because there's just, then all of a sudden you're opening up Pandora's box and it gets really dicey. But that is a
0: that is an option. It's an escape route that you don't want to have to take, but you can if you have but you to. You
1: gotta, yeah, right. Or you could even framework like from like a, a BRS review book or some board review book, and just get like a broad sense of the framework, mm-hmm. and then it might give you. It's not it's not going to perfectly uh, overlap, but you'll understand more. Like like if I was doing like a chromosome abnormalities lecture that I was yeah. working with from one student, really messy. I could go to a review book. Remember, I know nothing about the science. I could then framework that first aid, that board review chapter or from like a maybe like not not just like a four page or maybe like a 12 page chapter on it. So it's still not down in the weeds, but still not sort of a mid level view. And if I framework that it would bring rhyme and reason and structure to the things that this disorganized professor is teaching now Mm -hmm. again i'm just using it as a framework i'm not getting down into the details and then i'm going to use the information from the lecture because that person's, i'm assuming writing the test questions Mm -hmm. so i don't want to get too far now again i think there's a million caveats with this so tread carefully but that is a way to plug in and find ways around disorganized learning materials is that fair yeah
0: absolutely i think so definitely definitely um I think the the last thing um that the last item I have are instructors who are teaching in areas that they're not content experts in which happens yeah. a lot especially it's mid-sized to smaller institutions where yeah. you might have a limited number of faculty I know for me OK, uh, you know, I was trained as a cardiovascular pharmacologist in my in my particular area was hypertension. My sub area was a specific adrenergic receptor that's involved in vascular function and the signaling pathway. So really minutious stuff. Right. So when I was uh, when I was a first, uh, you know, first year faculty member, again, coming in with this very specific um, area of training out of my Ph.D., you know, I was, uh, you know, I was certainly assigned to cardiovascular to teach cardiovascular diseases because my Ph.D. was in cardiovascular pharmacology. But I was teaching things like arrhythmias and heart failure and anticoagulation that, frankly. I knew very little about other than what I learned in like my medical physiology course, my medical pharmacology course that I had for one semester with the medical students. And so wow. was, there was a lot of self-learning even within my discipline area, even teaching in yeah. hypertension, right, which is what my area of, of research was in. Okay. I, you know, I knew a small fragment of what I was teaching it, you know, because yeah. I was using, you know, a specific type of drug in my research. It's only used in, you know, you know, calcium channel blockers, which are used. You know, certainly, as first line agents for treatment of hypertension. But there are a lot of other drugs that I, I frankly, wasn't very familiar with. So right. I'm learning an awful lot, and I think that can be a double edged sword for students, right? Um, mm-hmm. And again, I am guilty of both things here. I will, I'm just going to say it right up front. Mm-hmm. Um, you have you have faculty members who, if you're well prepared and you've dug into a topic that you're not familiar with, it can actually be a really great learning experience. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm looking at the subject area as a non-content expert. So it, it, I'm able to, in a lot of ways, if I'm teaching something like that, I'm able to eliminate a lot of the excess stuff, right. the baggage that a content expert may be um, not so ready to let go of. Right? Okay. Or, or, um, or, it, or it, it might, because of the expertise blindness
1: almost, right? Yeah, exactly. Like right. You can exactly. be able way to work around that.
0: So you know um you know I've taught you know and I've taught with a lot of faculty members you know especially clinical faculty members who are teaching in areas that are outside of their practice areas um, and I know sometimes they're very nervous about doing it because like wow I don't really practice in this area I don't deal with right. this disease state but as long as they're they've done their homework and they're well prepared you know I, th- they do a really bang up job and I think the students get a lot out of it because it really I think it it forces Elimination of a lot of detail and complexity um, yeah. that maybe students don't really need. Um, on the flip side, <laughs> okay, if you, let's say you're asked to teach, you know, and again, my first semester teaching, I, I, I mean, I must have been assigned 20 lectures to do, okay, 22 wow. hour, 22 hour less. So it was like 40, 50 hours of lecturing. <sighs> my, and all right. And it takes, you know, especially when you're a beginner. Uh-huh. I remember taking anywhere from 10 to 20 hours to put together materials for a topic that I was teaching it. Now, 10 hours Staggered. on the side when I, where I was familiar with the information, maybe more on the 10 hour side, 20 right. hours in an area because I, I had to read, I had to learn, oh, wow. I had to talk to the people I was teaching with to make sure my information was congruent and connected with what they were doing. So, you know, were there moments where I fell short with that? Absolutely, you know. And as an instructor, I feel awful because I know I'm not doing the subject material justice, and I know the students are lost. Um, so, you know, apologizing <laughs> to all past students out there that I did that too. <laughs> well, I mean, but it, but it, I think it shines such a powerful
1: light for the people like where I sit or where our students sit. Yeah. Looking at looking behind the curtain, right? At what's happening on the other side of things? Yep, um, And that probably ties into also, even if you're an expert, but you aren't really trained in pedagogy and teaching all, this, all the, all the, the entanglements and the time that goes into that. And maybe it's like you, you, you did a really good job on lectures one, two and five. Right. But three and four got, you know, like got, got short shrift and and, and, and cut some corners. Like these things happen. And how much time is there to reflect and adjust and, all, all that stuff. So I think it's all very, it's insightful for me I'm sure it'd be insightful for my students to oh, think about.
0: Uh, yeah. Like, you know, a, a situation that happened to me probably seven or eight years into my career. Um, I had uh, one of my, uh, uh, colleagues in my department, um, unfortunately, uh, one year had a heart attack and, uh, was hospitalized for months afterwards. And, you know, again, it was sudden, it was unexpected. Uh, the next day, my department chair comes in my office and says, guess what, Jim, you're teaching, you know, medical physiology or, you know, physiology for the rest of the semester, anatomy and physiology. And this was like September, October, and probably <laughs> through the next semester as well, too. Now, fortunately for me as an instructor... Um, the person who taught the course was extremely well organized, had really good materials put together. So, right. you know, it was really but it was difficult for me because I was trying to interface with their learning material. Oh,
1: yeah. that's right? Because, that's you know, a- when we
0: develop slides in that like we talk about that superstructure and mm-hmm. the, the 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 way things are organized and flow. It's you know, it's really, really important to um to. To develop that yourself, and so I found myself. Well, right, because it's the connective tissue, right—the way
1: right. that you slide through and jump the gap and, and and draw
0: draw these connections, like that's that's a that's a. And it this was, probably
1: it was happens was way more often than we way think.
0: More than you think, or someone leaves suddenly, you know, departs. Yep. This happens a lot too, and yep. then yep. you know you're a faculty member and you get saddled with a bunch of brand new lectures that you've never had before, and they're you're up in two weeks. Right. Wow. So the default mode is, are you going to recreate all this stuff? You don't have time in two weeks. So you end up using no, the other no. person's materials. And what can happen then is it's not it's never as effective as if it you take the time to really dig into the material, develop your own material. So there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes with teachers and faculty that, you yeah. know, maybe some of your listeners don't know. Don't worry about. Now, again, that's not an excuse. Right. No, um, but it's real. But, it's real. But it's real. So, and I think, you know, like I said, I think you said this a couple of times, and I would have reiterated, I, I'd say 95% of the time, you know, when I see these things in instructors, it's either they just don't know that they're doing it, they don't know any better, mm-hmm. or they're forced yeah. into a situation where they don't have a choice. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, you know, for students out there, they don't hate you, they're not trying to get you, they're not trying to destroy you. Um, nice. You know, it, it's just, it's it's unfortunately... um you know, a part of the, a part of the, the, the experience. And I think that's why it's really important for students to learn how to navigate these particular situations and learn skills that they can use to effectively navigate through these things and and to learn effectively.
1: Yeah. Because that's one of the catchphrases that I think I've already said in this episode, methodology matters. I I meet so many people
0: who don't think
1: methodology matters when it comes to studying in these, in these, in these programs, like it's crazy to me. We think methodology matters in every other walk of life, but not in pharmacy school or med school or veterinarian right. school. Right. Like it's like if you're smart, you're smart, you do it, you figure it out. That's the most that's one of the most like, asinine mentalities, but that's a real mentality that's it out is. there.
0: I mean, I always tell my students, and you know, and we've you and I have talked about this analogy. I mean, you look at like professional athletes, professional musicians, sure. right? I mean, the way that they practice and they learn their 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 instrument and their and the sport that they're playing. It's incredibly method driven and structured and, and, mm-hmm. and, and deliberate. And yeah. yet we ask, you know, students to come into professional degree okay. programs where they have to learn at a professional level and they have but you have no training at all. Where well, the stakes to, are so high and the stakes, well, the stakes are, are so high or so high and you don't have any training at all in how to be an effective, independent learner. And, um, you've either, you've either picked it up naturally through the years or yeah. maybe you were like me and just, you know, use whatever raw talent, you know, that you had raw intelligence or work ethic. You just bull, you just bulldozed your way through it using whatever you had. And it was and a miserable bright. experience and you didn't huh. get much out of it.
1: And risky, I would say risky, risky, right? Because the risky. risk, the risk is what really bothers me so much is like, yeah, you made it, but what, what, like, what were the risks? Like How. How, how close were you ever to the edge where something could have knocked you over, you know, right. We well, did right. somebody else. Right. Like that's Absolutely. what's the, like near death experience. Like gulp just missed the missed it right there. So, uh, yeah, this is very, uh, informative and this, yeah, this is more informative than I expected it to be. Cause again, mm-hmm. you know, everybody always thinks, Oh, I know this, but we've never really deconstructed as much what goes on behind that curtain. Yeah. And I think it's always a good idea to know what the other side of the aisle is doing. And that can influence our prep and our flexibility and our mentality as we as we work through it. So, well, very good. Uh, Thanks for walking us through that. And we'll be back with more conversations like this in future episodes. Thanks for listening.
0: Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning
1: in to the Statmed Podcast. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe. You can find
0: more test-taking and studying strategies, specifically developed for med students and physicians, over at our blog, statmedlearning.com. Thanks for listening.